great to worship with you guys. Thank you so much. Did you see the deft way in which I carried that lectern through the worship team? Yeah. My children call me Oaf Mitchell, but I didn't Oaf that at all, did I? Well, not quite. I was uh, walking in these shoes um, this week, and I kind of like, fell off the shoe. <laughs> I got it stuck. Anyway, I am an Oaf. Um, and in fact, I'm talking to you about both and tonight, and uh, it's a favorite of mine, but once you see both and, you see it everywhere. That phrase, both and, you'll get it everywhere if it gets in your bloodstream. So earlier on today, I was just going down to Southside to preach down there, and Tina said to me, my wife Tina said, that shirt's too small for you. I said, no, my stomach's too big for it. It's both and, you see? It's, and um, I am actually wearing a different shirt tonight. Not, not just because of the size, actually, but really because of the heat. It, I, I kind of got through that shirt. Okay. Coming to land, why, why are we talking about both and why am I making a big deal of this series? Which I am, I'm making a big deal of it. In fact, I'm making such a big deal of it, I've kind of put myself down to preach somewhere in the Woodland Church family and have it recorded throughout September because for me, uh, it's something that I, I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about it as, as a leader of this church and movement because I think it has a lot to do with our culture and practice and wanting to kind of set something of the, of the tone for where we're going and, and who we are in a September reset. But um, I'm passionate about it because I believe that the church is God's strategy for reaching the whole world with the good news of his kingdom. I think it is the strategy that Jesus had in mind when he came to die on the cross and then to raise up a community of people who were his followers and to send them out to go into all the earth. And I don't think the strategy has changed and I don't think the strategy is going to change. I think it is God's blueprint. This is how it's going to happen. This is how we're going to make disciples. Church, community, the people of the kingdom of God, people making a bridgehead into planet earth, making a bridgehead into a fallen world with the with the message and the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. But one of the challenges that we've had over 2,000 years of church history is that instead of the church invading the world, the world has invaded the church. And instead of following kind of kingdom ways, in spirit-inspired, Jesus-led um, practices and values, we've tended to adopt the values of the culture around us. And we've handled things uh, in a way that's actually been destructive. We've not um, applied power or um, we've used it in, in, in the wrong way, you know, because the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And one of the, 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 the challenges is that, that religious people can get things very wrong, not just a little bit wrong, but very wrong. Because when religious people get things wrong, they don't just behave and do things that are wrong. They believe that God is pleased with them when they behave and do things wrong. They become really difficult. They become, can become harder-hearted than your average human being. We've seen that in, in recent history around the kind of phenomenons around something like ISIS. But we've seen it through church history in the way that even Christians have persecuted one another. Jesus once warned us and said, there are times coming when people will kill you and think they're pleasing God. Religion can get into black and white thinking into kind of modes of, of understanding that other, other people that don't kind of hold together the, the subtlety and the brilliance and the nuance and the diversity uh, of the kingdom of God and, and the teaching of scripture and, and the life of Jesus. And, and so if you're going to understand 
the Bible. And if you're going to understand the ways of God, you have to, I believe, be able to hold things in tension. You have to be able to live with things that you can't completely reconcile. By the way, I think you have to do that in the whole of life. You know, we, we, black and white thinking tends to mean I've got a model that's going to help me get some data. But the model is inadequate to what things are really like. You know, just in terms of physical universe, we have models to understand it because we don't really get it. We can't really imagine it. But it's the same theologically, and we will be saying this lots of times, but, you know, the, the tension that we have to live with, we do have to live with the tension of, of, a, of a God who is both three and one, and, and say we have to live with that. There's only one God, and yet God is three. What's that all about? And when people try and get rid of the tension, they stop being Christian. They stop being Trinitarian. We, we live with the tension of, of um, free will and, and human sovereignty, and, and, and if we get rid of the tension then we, 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 we start to live peculiar lives. As if God's not involved in our choices, we could just ignore God. Or, or else, the, you know, we're asking God, what pair of trousers to put on in the morning? You know, it's, it's, we, we'll get it wrong. We can, we can live with it with, with, anyway. So I want to particular look at this Sunday, some of the particular both and tensions about church. And, and next Sunday, I want to look at some of the both and tensions around theology, around belief, about some of the big pictures that we live in that, that understand and inform our, our faith. But this is more of the how to do it. And I'm going to read you a little passage from um, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It's from the Sermon in the Mount, and Jesus is teaching there and says um, to his followers, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's a tension in the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he's telling his followers to be very visible, very prominent, uh, to, 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 yeah, to be easy to, to identify and find, and also telling them to be invisible and hidden. In fact, Jesus says two bizarre, apparently opposite things. He says, let your good deeds um, shine before others, let your light shine before others, so that it may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, show people your good deeds. But then in the next chapter, Matthew 6, he says, when you do good, do it in secret. Don't let your light, left hand know what, what your right hand is doing. Do it in secret. There's a tension there, isn't it? And, and the tension is really that um, as the people of God, we are meant to be visible enough so that people who are trying to find their way to God, trying to see what his rule and reign looks like, they can look at the community of, of, of his followers and say, Ah, that's what it's meant to look like. The church is meant to be not just the messenger, but the, the message. We're meant to look at us and think, gosh, the way that they love one another, that must be what God's like. The way that they care for the poor, that must be what God's like. The way that they see the sick healed, that must be what, what the kingdom is like, where there's healing and abundance. The, the way that there's no needy ones among them, all that kind of stuff. They're meant to look at it and say, this is what it's like. This is a place where I, can, I was lost, but now I can be found, not just by God, but by his people. And so in that context, it behoves us to show people what the kingdom of God is like by being very visible about our ways of serving our city, ways of serving the poor. 
But not me as an individual. Oh, that's going to be secret. I do that as an individual secretly, but collectively, because we're God's people, that's the kind of thing the people of God do. We make it public. So actually, our good deeds authenticate the message. They're part of the message. And so it's really vital for a church like Woodlands that we practice as well as preach. And that's a both intention, isn't it? Stop it. <laughs> Did you see the deft way? I almost caught that with my foot. Um, you know, talk about Christians polarizing. Martin Luther got hold of one thing. We're justified by faith. You know, it's not about what we do that saves us. It's, it's faith. And so he got hold of the one thing. It's faith. That's what counts. But he missed the fact that faith that's real faith actually works. It does things. When I say he missed it, he got really annoyed with the letter of James, the epistle of James in the New Testament, which he called a right strawy epistle. You know, it's like straw, not like precious stones. Because in the book of James, James says, faith without works is dead. It's both and. Show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by what I do. He says, it's no good just believing. Even the devil believes and trembles. Get on and do some stuff. You can't go past it by your brother who's, you know, impoverished and, and say, oh, God bless you, and not do anything about it. Faith and works belong together. If you've got real faith, it will do things. It's a both hands. And so actually for us as a church, part of what we're going to be doing next month, we're going to, we're, this is a really practical thing we're going to do. We're going to profile one of the um, mission partners that we have in the city every month. We're going to profile them so that we can pray for them, but also so you can volunteer with them and also you can give cash to them. Because we're going to double the amount of collections we have to give away from October. So that, because actually it's valuable and vital for us that we bless our city. And we want to see more good stuff happening in our city. I mean, let's take a little issue. A little issue like asylum seekers, refugees. I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, I think. But there are so many beautiful and broken people from all over the world. And some of you may be here tonight. I was speaking to, uh, to someone this afternoon who's an asylum seeker from um, El Salvador. And he said, what? I said, why are you here? And he said to me, um, gangs in El Salvador wanted to kill me and my children. Why did they want to kill you? Because they wanted my kids to join a gang. And I said, no. I mean, El Salvador, it's not in the news, but like so many Latin American countries, life is so, so harsh and uh, people are on the move. Afghanistan, the Afghanistan hotel in, in Bristol is closing. People are being finding alternative accommodation. How are we going to care for those people? We've got to give money, we've got to give time, we've got to give prayer. I could go on, but it's both hands, isn't it? There are needs in our city we've got to meet. Okay, here's another uh, both hand though. In this church, we want to recognize that we are saints and sinners. Now, here at a, as a church, we champion wholeness, and we believe in whole living. In fact, my colleague, um, Claire Thompson, is passionate about the fact that, what's it, what's, it for, what's it all about, this Christian life? It's about being whole. 
It's about having a life that uh, has been renewed and transformed. But we also recognize that we are broken. And if we overemphasize the wholeness without recognizing that we're broken, we'll go around in denial as if we never do anything wrong. And there are some Christians that believe in sinless perfection. And they say, all right, I've come to Jesus, I don't sin anymore. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I've heard people say that. But then there are other people who have such a poverty of, of self-image, such a lack of, of, of wholeness in their life that they feel like they're worms all the time and they're, they're being kind of abused and pushed around by the devil and full of depression. And the, the reality is we are glorious ruins, you know? We, we were ruined, but we were made in the image of God and God is restoring his image in us. So we need to champion wholeness while recognizing that we're broken. And that means we don't ignore as a church things like safeguarding and accountability and all that kind of stuff. We don't ignore the fact that um, sometimes there are people in church who've got life-controlling problems. We don't ignore the fact that all of us can be tempted, including me, on a daily basis. And, and it's, it's so challenging, isn't it? You know, we, we, we would like to put leaders on a pedestal. I think we, we do something to leaders as, as churches. We, we want heroes, so we'll put them on a pedestal. And, and, and when they fail and fall, then we, we're disappointed and disillusioned and we trash them, you know? And, and it's partly down to us. We're not meant to put leaders on a pedestal. I'll tell you what, 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 uh, what I've done myself just this week. Um, I met with a church leader in Sheffield who's a, a guy called Ian Parkinson because I reckon as a senior church leader, I need to have people who will eyeball me. He said to me, people like you and I don't have enough people who will eyeball us, who will look us in the eye and say, what's really going on? So I've made a, a dis, uh, an arrangement that five times a year we will catch up and we'll talk about stuff. We'll talk about church, but I'll also talk about what's going on on the inside. Because people like you and me need accountability. We need people to ask us how we're doing. And it's not that, you know, it's not all about the brokers. We want to celebrate the great things that God does with us, but we need to be accountable. And just by the way, here at Woodies, if you have any issue with the church and you feel you can't come and talk to us, then there is a procedure. We would actually like to be people as leaders that it's safe to come and challenge. We'd like to feel that it's safe enough. We're not going to kind of, um, you know, spiritually abuse you or, or rebuke you. If you, if you come and, and say, I've got this issue with the way you do church, or I had this personal issue, I, I felt a little bit offended by you, or whatever. We don't mind, you know, hopefully we'll, we, you can do that and not be we won't be too defensive. We'll try and listen to you. But if you're afraid to do that, if you think the power grade is too big, if you think I can't do that, on our website, we've got a complaints procedure. We've got a complaints email you can write to. And if you do that, a, a neutral trustee will try and investigate and, and pick up what your concern is. And, and it might be to do with me. It's probably to do with Nigel, but it might be to do with me, you know? Because <laughs> we're both and. We, we, we are... Yeah, we're going from one degree of glory to another. We're becoming more of a whole. But we're not finished yet, you know? And uh, the reality is, yeah, well, I've said enough on that one, haven't I? 
But, you know, one of the things that I'm really concerned about for church in both hands is I really do want us to be safe and dangerous. My, my, my son, Robin, works for the Diocese of Truro. He, the, the dean of Truro Cathedral is his line manager. How could that happen? He grew up in this church. How did that happen? I can't believe it. And I saw Robin this week. He said, I've been doing a lot of safeguarding training, Dad. And it seems to me that safeguarding is about protecting ourselves, not about safeguarding other people. There's something about safeguarding, you know, in our culture. It's all about, gosh, if I'm going to get sued, I've got these things in place. You know, safeguarding is really about safeguarding people who are vulnerable. Uh, and obviously, we do need protections around ourselves as staff. But yet, we can't be so focused on safeguarding that the church stops being dangerous. It's a bit like my, my colleague Ed Marsh says, the RNLI has got very rigorous safeguarding principles. But if it just was trying to be safe, it would never go and rescue people in storms in lifeboats. What we've got to do around safeguarding is at both hands, we've got to get some good protocols and practices, but we've got to go for people where we need the protocols and practices because they're dangerous people. We've got to go for people who are, who are in the darkness because that's who Jesus comes for. And, and if, we, you know, if we try and keep ourselves safe, that's, it's, not, it's not what it's for. You know, I, I'm passionate, safe and dangerous at the same time. Church needs to be safe because you're going to find a place of love and forgiveness here. But dangerous because we are being transformed from one degree of glory and we've still got messy lives. And dangerous because we're taking on enemy territory. And dangerous because we're trying to reach people who other people have given up on. And, and you know, I'm a bit risk averse. I have to challenge myself to, to be dangerous. But dangerous to take risk with God. Dangerous to take risks with our finances, to take risks with praying for people and stepping out in leadership and a whole range of things. So um, safe and dangerous is a both hand. You know, churches, did I talk about salt and light? I was talking about that, wasn't I? I got completely waylaid, <laughs> sidetracked and discombobulated. Um, the salt and light thing, visible, yes, I said that. We need to be visible, didn't I? Because then people will be able to come and find us. Because we exist for the people who don't yet belong. And we want to be visible enough online by our reputation, by the things that we do. A good reputation in the city. An online profile. When, when you Google Woodies, you find it. That we, we're a church you can bring your friends to. That, that people are doing that. That the big visible building, it's not hard to find. It's not down a back street. It's got signs all outside. You know, it's got a big foyer. When you look through that glass door, you think, oh, I think something's going on there. We want to be visible. But we also want to be dispersed. We're a gathered church here. People come from all over the area. Give us a whoop if you're from Western Supermare. <laughs> come on. Can you do it? Anyone from Western Supermare? Come on. I want a proper whoop. All right. Good. So, I mean, people do come here from all over the place. If you're from Bishopston, give us a whoop. No, people, we're a gathered church. But we're passionate also about being local church. A local church that's small, that's neighborhood, that's inclusive, that's participative. You can't all particip participate in a, in a big church. But this afternoon, I was at Southside, our neighborhood church, on the edge of Bedminster. And the worship was being led by one of the teenagers there. And... Um, you know, actually, he probably wouldn't get in the worship band at Woody's. 
but he did a great job of leading the worship at Central because Poppy was helping him. But, <laughs> but because it's neighborhood and we've different models. We've got the, the model here of we want to go for inspiration. But in a small church, the model is participation. Big church for inspiration. Small church for participation. And we need both. And some people prefer one or the other. Set them off for one another. Say, oh, big church is rubbish. It's all, you know, we've got to deconstruct all that kind of big church power nonsense. And yet, it's in big church that people who are seekers find stuff. You know, Mel, our newcomer's pastor, will tell you we've had this since January, over 350 contact cards for people who want to identify with this church. And, and small church, that just doesn't happen. We need a big front door, a big welcome sign. But we also need small church for discipleship, participation, belonging, noticing, loving. Because everyone needs to be noticed and loved. And that happens in neighborhood congregations. And we've got seven different sites around the city where things happen. And we've also got our midweek groups. And that is small church. It's church in the home. It's church in the pastorate. And we celebrate that. And we think that people will thrive best if they've got both those ingredients in their lives. Now, you've got busy lives. You can't necessarily commit to all that stuff all the time. How many times do you want to come to big church in a month? How many times do you want to do small church in a month? I don't know. But try and get both in your diet somewhere, somehow. Because we're both on church. We think they're both church. And while you're at it, be really dispersed and be nice and salty in your place of work. Bring the flavor of the kingdom, because that's what salt is, isn't it? It brings the flavor of the kingdom. It stops things going rotten. That's what it, it, in um, Middle Eastern culture it did. All right. Gosh. I mean, I would love to have a couple more hours on this. Because if you get the both hand, it's everywhere. It really is. Let's have a think about... Um, Spiritual authority and team, just briefly, because this is relevant to you guys. You know, um, in 1 Corinthians, there's some teaching about church, which is absolutely brilliant. But it, it kind of says contradictory things, really. It, has, it, it talks about particular ministries, and it says this, for instance, you know, um, you're the body of Christ, each of you has a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And what that seems to imply is, first of all, it looks a little bit hierarchical, doesn't it? First of all, there's apostles, then prophets. And then it also looks a little bit like some people have got gifts and other people don't. And yet, also in that very same chapter, it says, um, just as a body, there are many parts, form, has many parts, but forms one body, so it's with Christ. We're all baptized in the Spirit to form one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free. We're all given the one Spirit to drink. And it goes on to say, to each one, the gift of the Spirit is given in, in 1 Corinthians 12. To each one, we've all got gifts. So it's a tension between there are special roles of leadership and ministry, there's a fluency and an anointing, and yet we're all anointed. That's what a Christian means. A Christian means an anointed person. So here at Wood is we say everyone's a minister. If you're part of the church, God has recruited you in his salvation program. 
And our job as leaders is to equip you to be better ministers. Because it's both and. Okay, there is leadership. We should respect leadership. We should listen to leadership. But the job of leadership is to do itself out of a job. In Ephesians 4, it says, right, here's the leaders, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. What's their job? To equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all reach maturity. So it stops being hierarchical because we're raising people up. And so, you know, my job and people like me is to give our, our job away. Um, now, spiritual authority, there's a real, real tension. Churches do it in different ways, you know. There are some, tension, some churches where leadership and spiritual authority is top-down. Apostles. Bishops. People who, you know, the Pope <laughs> is top-down. There are other churches that organize it bottom-up. They're democratic. They, they talk about the presbytery. They're presbyterian. It's democratic. If they don't like the leader, they get together, they have a vote. Off you go. Get out of here. You know, we're in charge because we're the body of Christ. Now, in Scripture, spiritual authority rests in leadership. But in Scripture, spiritual authority also rests in the whole body of Christ. And we need the both and. We need wise leadership to listen to the body. And a wise body listens to leadership. Listen to what it says in Hebrews. It says this. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so the work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit for you. So it's kind of a real emphasis on kind of, all right, something going on there. But then in, in Ephesians, it, it talks about all of us submit to one another. It's talking about a whole church, submit to one another out of reverence for God. Somehow we've got to hold both those things together, attention. So here at Wood is, um, just to say where we are as leadership, we, I'm so grateful for the team of people that lead this congregation with me. And over the next year, I'll be working hard at how I can give away more leadership so that as we really raise up local leadership in this church, in its congregation, in its community. We really want to raise up leaders among our community to see lots of small group leaders. It's really important. We want to, uh, to, to, see, to say that leadership is noble, it's honorable, it pleases God. You get to partner with God. We want to help equip you in all of that. But actually, we want to say whether or not you've got the title of, of a leader, you are a minister, you've got stuff to do. And, you know, here's another both hands, and I, I'll probably need to stop, won't I? <laughs> So I'll, I'll come into land about now-ish, I think. Um, but just to say, one thing about the church is it's both organic and structured. Stru stuff happens all by itself. It grows all by itself. And stuff is planned and managed. And, and, and Peter describes it really well. He says, you are God's, God's building, God's field. We are living stones. There is something that's like a building that's organic, like a stone that you build together. But you're also living, you're alive, you're organic, like a field. Stuff just grows. And in a church family, we have to celebrate the organic. Things happen all by themselves. Someone gets welcomed, not by a welcome team, not by someone in a yellow T-shirt, not by someone in a blue T-shirt on the door. They get welcomed by the person who noticed them in the coffee queue or sat next to them. 
And that is brilliant. We love it when church is organic and it welcomes. So you're all part of the welcome team. But when church gets to a certain size, you have to have structures. Otherwise, it doesn't happen well. You have, and so we're a church that's trying to work at our structures while at the same time trying to be organic. It's both and. Gosh. As I, as I finish, um, I'm just going to say you're beautiful to God, to Jesus. He sees you as beautiful. And, um, you know, we're some of us aware of the ugliness that there is in church, the ugliness of division, of, of, of brokenness, of sinful behavior. And, and those things, we don't want to deny them and say they're not there. But there's also so much beauty in the church, and Jesus sees it, and he loves it. And Jesus wants to give you more of his spirit. Because it's not just about you working hard and doing great stuff for God with your time, energy, and money. Good though that is. It's about God working in you and through you by his spirit. And as a Christian, you are an anointed one. And he can do things in you at your weakest, at your most broken. He loves you. And as I finish, I just want to pray that we as a church family would see more of God's spirit at work here. We'll be able to live with the tensions but see more of the kingdom breaking in. Go that way. That's where we're going. So, Father God, we, we t- tonight, we want to present this church back to you. We say that you are the head of the church. It belongs to you. You're the head of the church. You're the chief cornerstone. And, Lord, as, as followers, as, as Christians, we're, we're only little anointed ones. And yet, you give us the same anointing that was on Christ Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, we believe. So, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you help us to become more and more the people that you've called us to be? Will you help us as a, as a church in this city to be such a light that no one can have an excuse for not believing that there is a God and he's got a people that love him? And I pray, Lord God, that in this city you'd make us so salty that the very atmosphere and flavor of the city changes. It's a place where there's justice, where crime drops, where mental health improves where marriages prosper, where so many good things happen because you're at work in us and through us and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.